Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson. And I'm Maureen Smith. And we are joined by Karen Hawkins of Rebellious Magazine. So, a funny story about why Karen is here. Um, I well, First of all, she's a total badass and her magazine is incredible. But um, how we met is that... <laughs> Uh, I was at work, and she came into fairgrounds um, on a poster drop and asked to hang stuff up, and we were like, yeah, we'll take your poster and we'll find a place to, because we, we don't have a community board yet, because we're fashion over function at the moment, but we're working on it. Sorry. Um, and I was like, oh, but what are you, what are you um, promoting? And she's like, oh, feminist prom. Which I was like, huh, do you want to come on our podcast? <laughs> and of course they said, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and almost left behind the counter. It was really <laughs> sweet. And cool. I like, I like took an, I took like a used receipt and like wrote my email on it and like yeah. handed it to her. And so now we're here and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This yeah. is so fun. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, as always, like, the, at the beginning of your interview, there's, like, five different questions I want to ask right off the bat. So, I think the, probably the best way thing to start with is, would you mind just telling us a little bit about Rebellious Magazine? Sure. Absolutely. It's what I do for a living. Uh, <laughs> so, Rebellious at RebelliousMagazine.com is a digital feminist media organization, and we first launched five years ago as I was leaving my job with a major news organization whose name I will not say, but whose initials are AP. And we were up and running for about a year and a half. I got super burnt out. We took a disco nap, relaunched a year ago. A disco nap. Just a little, you know, you just put your head down. You're like, I'm so tired. I'm going to go out later. I'm going to put my head down. And then it's like two and a half years later. And you're like, oh, oh, (laughs) that's right. Uh, Lots of job changes and fun in between. Launched last year. We have paid writers. We have paid staff. It's super fun. Cool. Yeah, I, I love that for so many reasons. First off, I like deeply appreciate the fact that it was like start up and then die down and start up and then die down kind of thing because that's exactly what we've done. Is like we started three years ago. We were able to hire some writers to do just like article stuff, like arts articles, and then budgeting and whatever. And so yeah. we it died for like two years, and now we've been doing the podcast, and that's kind of kept like steadiness going. Anyway, but so. Um, the other thing that you guys do that's really cool is you do events, right? And so, like, that's a big part of the things that you guys do. And so one of the things that's upcoming now, and that you mentioned this, is Feminist Prom. Yes. Hooray! Feminist Prom is this Saturday, May 20th, 8 p.m., Catalyst Ranch in the West Loop. And a lot of people keep asking me, like, well, what's a feminist prom? And it's like, well, whatever image comes into your head when I say those two words to you, that's what it is. <laughs> that sounds like really fabulous dresses. Really amazing food, probably. Yes. Um, bomb fucking music. Amazing. Um, really just like top notch dancing, and not like weird and shamey. Exactly. Like you can wear anybody can wear dresses. You don't have to wear a dress. You can wear jeans. Like the beauty of it is you're reclaiming prom from whatever it was when you were seventeen and it sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. No. Yeah, well, I that's I love that in that I, for, I first off want to talk about the idea conceptually of something that I feel like um, social justice movements in general are doing, and something that you're extremely doing um, is taking older concepts, traditions, and things like that, and making them relevant and making them accessible. And and um, that part of that is in what the Rebellious Magazine does, and in, in, at its core, you know, I I think it's really interesting that you do come from such a uh, I mean, like, so I, my experience with journalism, um, I'm of course familiar with the organization that you were talking about. Um, and it's, it's such a strict, rigorous, like they have their own style and all of these things. And so it's, um, cool to see someone that's like extremely literate in what, in the form of what was a form that is like under attack every day and all these things. And then making that into kind of a digital media, uh, product kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, Thank you. No problem. And uh, I realize now, this is something I do sometimes, and this is why I'm a potentially bad journalist, is I get into a thought and then don't have a question at the end of it. It's all right. But 
There's yeah. a, all right, so I'm going to answer a question you didn't ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. do it. That's great. Yeah. Because I like working this in whenever I talk about the name Rebellious. Right. I actually have my boss at my former news organization to thank for the name Rebellious because long story short, he felt like I had asked for too many Saturdays in a row off. Four out of, I don't know if you know how many there are in a year, but yeah. considerably more than four. I was working every Saturday, asked for four off in a row, and he told me that I was being rebellious, and then I was testing him. Oh. And I, this was over the phone, and he's lucky it was, and so am I, because I'm not in jail right now. <laughs> but I just remember, like, pulling the phone away, like, for real, though? That's the, really, that's the words you landed on to say to me about, like, I'm not a runaway slave. That's, like, actually not, yeah, that's, right. like, not the word... Let's let's pretend like you didn't say that, but no, let's pretend you did because now I named my magazine. Mm-hmm. No, so, yeah. that's I mean, I love that resonates so deeply, like taking something that a man has thrown at you and just throwing it right back at them. That actually so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell a story about myself that I'm very proud of. Awesome. My chemistry teacher, sophomore year of high school, told me one day that I was Oh my god, my phone is ringing. No! All right, we're back and I'm mortified. Anyway, so um, <laughs> so my chemistry teacher, sophomore year of high school, um, told me that I was having a bad hair day. He was like, he was like, hey Smith, hair's looking pretty bad today, huh? And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> and he was like, I said your hair's looking pretty bad today, huh? And I was like, okay, I see you. And then I went home and I walked into the house and I was like, hey dad, do you wanna shave my head? And he was like, yeah, that sounds really fun. (laughs) And so then we shaved my head and uh, I came back the next day and walked in. I was like, hey, Mr. Cat, what's up? And he was just rendered speechless. One of the proudest moments of my entire life. I mean, that's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I know. Mm -hmm. So like the idea of taking that horribly condescending and ridiculous and super unprofessional like yeah. that's just not a word like you got teenage kids you want to call them rebellious that's fine but, but somebody who works a black woman who works for you for and you're real? a fucking journalist mm-hmm. there's that <laughs> so that's kind of my like you have a platform <laughs> on which to fucking yeah yeah <laughs> so <laughs> so the thing that's interesting for me um in these conversations is you we're, we kind of get into this thought of like what is what the establishment is and um working potentially outside of that but also trying to work with it um are there things that because uh, obviously you have it sounds like you have a ton of experience with the establishment journalism world um are there things that you've worked hard to keep from that tradition are there things that you've like like just outright shunned and been like this i never want to be this such a good question because it's something of course I struggle with all the time and I just this year bought a digital AP style book membership because I just I needed it and it was making me crazy like we're a magazine and typically magazines don't necessarily use AP style it's more of a wire newspaper thing but like it's so burned into my brain Mm -hmm. that I can't not edit to it and I there were just too many new things that I didn't know that I finally just this year gave into it but the, in terms of, like, the parts of it that I shun, pretty much all of it, especially, like, the notion of what's a story. I'm making air quotes you can't see. What's a story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like legacy news organizations have very specific ideas about what a story is. And what they mean when they say that is, will our white, moneyed audience care about what you're talking about? And if the answer is no, then you don't, then that's not a story. Mm-hmm. And... It's absurd, of course, on so many levels, but I joke with my writers that, like, if they come to me and as part of their pitch they say, I haven't been able to place this anywhere, I'm almost a thousand percent going to say yes to it because I've been on so, I've so often been on the other end of that. Yeah. Oh, well, that's not a story. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, we've, uh, the, the main way that we get most of our stories is we put Craigslist craigslist ads out there and so far the ones that we've published from freelance writers are we someone went to a an underground breakdancing competition and wrote about the community and like 
the result of the event and kind mm-hmm. of like the history of it and it was so cool it was so incredibly cool and we just green we just greenlit a uh, a story about um like reusable art like mm. re- like reuse centers in the art surrounding it mm-hmm. and just like there's a story anywhere like one of the stories she pitched was yarn bombing which like have you seen like those like fences that have like things knit around them it's called yes. yarn bombing right up. yeah yeah which like fuck yeah cool that's cool yeah <laughs> so like anything's a story well so um that's all very interesting and the other thing that's interesting to me too is um talking about working with AP style and having that like mindset towards it do you do you find yourself um because I know I also know I don't know it well I don't have the digital style guide but like I also know it enough to where someone will pitch me a story and, and they're like they'll send me the the um the sample writing that they'll give me as like a listicle or something and I'm like oh like this is cool really great content but also like are, are you are you familiar with AP style? Like, how, so I guess my my question for you is, how do you navigate being potentially? And I don't know if this is necessarily true. I don't know how. I don't know the the extent to which uh, your staff is is kind of, of of the same ilk, but kind of being of this like heavily maybe not. I don't know. I don't heavily trained um, journalist tradition. Uh, how have you found a way like ways to translate that? to maybe if if the word is layman if you want to say that Mm -hmm. you know i haven't really figured it out you know it really is something i still struggle with yeah especially you know not not all my writers know ap style people don't you know aren't necessarily people didn't take it in english class i'll put it that way unless you had a journalism course or some kind of journalism background you're not really going to know it um i think i try to push people um in the only way I can think of it is that people, I think, um, don't always have more than one source in their story. Like, things like that. Like, right. I feel like that, I try to bring that kind of rigor to it, but I am super flexible on the rest of it. Yeah. Incredibly flexible. And because the other side of it, too, is then you can just go through and be like, oh, well, you didn't really use said in the right way. So, like, I'm gonna, I'll just go ahead and fix that for you. Like, it's really not a big deal. Like, and and I think that's really, I think that's really cool. Um yeah, uh, well, I still, uh, so kind of when you're, when you were coming through and working through this, um, feminist prom idea and just generally, uh, working as you have the, the magazine, which is very much one idea. There are a lot of like preconceived conceptions of what a magazine is. And, um, but you're also doing very different things. Like I think the idea of having events and having especially subversive, not subversive, but, um, but just progressive, like, yeah, like, like progressive and like extremely tailored to your vision. Like the idea, I mean, because I think the idea of prom is fraught. Right. I think that a lot of people have a negative connotation with prom. Like, you know, we could probably go around the room and share our prom experiences and it would be unpleasant for everybody. So, <laughs> but I think that the idea of like, you know, we talked about this earlier, but reclaiming it is important. And uh, how did you arrive at, you know, wanting to put on events through a literary source? Mm. So it had always been part of our mission. Even when we, even when we were volunteer run, even when we first launched, I'd always knew we wanted to do events because we're digital. And I saw it as a way to build community even though we have a digital product. Right. And it was really important to me that it be a connection point, that it be a way for people, like-minded people to get together. And you can't really, there's too, there are too many opportunities to do that digitally that don't force you to like actually meet people in real life. So mm-hmm. yeah. that I always, my goal was always to do events and we had a launch party when I first launched. I'm trying to think of what other events we did the first year. Oh, the bridesmaids bash. Yeah, and the tagline was the bride always said that you'd wear the dress again. Yeah, it was a party bus full of feminists in horrible bridesmaids dresses. It was kind of fantastic. We might have to revive that, but 
That's that sounds example so of fucking fun. Circle. Yeah. Those party oh. buses, I ha- I mean, I shake my fist at them when I see them, but being on one was actually kind of awesome. I bet. It was awesome. <laughs> was there booze on it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you allowed to have booze on a party bus? You're, I think you're, you have to. I think it's mandated by law that you have <laughs> like to have booze. in the bylaws, in like the traffic bylaws that if like a party bus gets pulled over, like, oh, it's a party bus. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just making sure you guys have enough alcohol for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the police are actually like, I need a bottle count. <laughs> okay, okay, keep going. Okay, six bottles of rum, perfect. Oh perfect. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah, and I mean, that's something that um, I know we were talking about before we started recording, but the idea of what digital media even means now. And because um, what does it mean? You know, like, like we're all figuring it out. And, um, yeah. Uh, I love the idea of that's why we started the podcast was trying to figure out ways to make community because I think there's something that although digital media has a lot of uh, pros in comparison to kind of like the old way of doing things the way that the old guard would have but there's something so experience driven about like getting the paper in the mail totally and like sitting down with coffee and drinking and there's a weird weirdly there's a communal aspect to that too um yeah well so many people come into my coffee shop and ask me like oh do you guys have the new york times here or do you guys have the wall street journal here do you have the trib here and it's like no but we have wi-fi and we invite you to use it and and actually so i think it's so interesting like this is a little off topic but there's actually so la colombe around here Mm -hmm. so la colombe is a coffee shop that is founded on like if you go into any la colombe none of them have wi-fi oh specifically because they don't want people sitting there on computers they want people to sit and talk and like commune that way and so that's why i think it's so cool that you know, when you are working with a digital medium and when you are working within the framework of something that is in the cloud and virtual and that requires an internet connection, it's so important to then have an aspect that's in person. And so that's why we're actually working on having our performance series this summer Mm -hmm. is like, you know, there needs to be some sort of face-to-face accountability. There needs to be a personal touch because otherwise you're just something that you can X out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the other thing I uh, wanted to ask, too, is how has... Um, uh, do you ever... Is it... How is the point to, like, the face-to-face building of relationships working as far as because I don't I don't uh, I've just met you obviously but like I know for me like being the the reason I like editing and the reason I like like work because I like being alone so, you know what I mean like I, I like <laughs> like I like just kind of like working on what I'm working on um but it sounds like you guys are really working to you all rather I'm sorry uh I'm working on my I'm working on my inclusivity pronouns anyway um because we were talking about this, we had a, uh, sorry, I'm going off another tangent. We had a, um, a guest on and we were talking about, and I, I frequently use you guys. And I, I realized that why, the reason I do that is because usually it's people that are from administrations. And so I say yeah. you guys to mean like you and your administration, which is, which is me basically saying like your administration must all be male, right? Yeah. Anyway, sorry <laughs> to entirely go off on a tangent. So my, my, um. My question for you is, um, have you found kind of tools that have made the, I guess, the short-term kind of more face-to-face relationship fostering uh, easier for people that maybe Mm. have a hard time with people? (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. All right, I'm going to bust out my writers a little bit here. Yeah. So we have had a couple writer get-togethers to brainstorm and, and that kind of thing, and they don't come to the events. It's funny, like our readers are great about coming, but for the, the vast majority of our writers are in Chicago and don't come to our events. So I think they are living in that space of like, nope, I'm gonna sit here at my house and mm-hmm. I'm gonna send you some stuff and I'm never gonna meet you face to face. But what's interesting about being an editor and loving that like kind of, you know, the, the solitude kind of of writing and editing is that I have that, but I also miss the newsroom. 
Mm. You know, we right now are run out of my house and out of co-working spaces, and I really miss the energy and the camaraderie and the just complete absurdity and dark humor and horror right. of the newsroom. <laughs> so I, I, that is something I'm working toward is getting a space where I can bring both my writers and other writers together. Mm. So I, I do like the solitude, but I also do miss that the yeah. energy of that. You absolutely need both sides of it, I think, which is a really awesome point. Well, and that's something I've been thinking about too, is that kind of, that's a, that's a dynamic as a journalist that I've never had the newsroom. Dy- I've only worked cause I've worked post i mean at what what point would you say that 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 it really shifted because like it's just kind of been slowly you know trickling into where we're at now well and i think that it probably has to do with just the cost of space like it, it it's it's a matter of you know are we viable as are we viable enough as an organization to be able to allocate a certain amount of what we bring in a month to a place to put our computers or should we just kind of like wing it and i think that there's an there's probably an argument to be i mean there certainly is there's an argument to both where like you know working individually and you know saving that money and really putting it toward you know action and doing things is per is amazing but you lose that community aspect mm-hmm. um i have a i have a question about the running and like kind of like logistics of rebellious. Um, so I was perusing through, and what I liked about it is that your formatting and the stuff you feature is base is is modeled after like Cosmo and you know stuff like that. Like you have a sex advice advice column. You have you know like community events you have you know advice and you know all of that stuff and i'm but what i loved about it is the fact that it's all a progressive bent um was that modeling of like after cosmo and all of that was that intentional or was that like gradually over time did you know that you it was did you know that that was the framework that you wanted to build within kind of so we actually when I first launched, I identified as feminist lifestyle. Cool. And the idea was that we would be a women's magazine that wasn't insulting to women. <laughs> Fucking yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I care about lipstick, but I'm not an idiot. You know, yeah. like that kind of like, <laughs> I like shoes, but I'm kind of not an idiot. So that kind of, that idea of bringing a feminist progressive bent to that kind of genre of women's magazine. Like, because yeah. I feel like a lot of my friends read crappy women's magazines and with, and you have this like kind of dirty feeling afterward. Like, eh, I kind of enjoyed that, but I kind of hated it. So I really wanted to get at the idea that you can be a feminist and care about fashion and you can be a feminist and want to read about relationships and, and also to take all of those things and take them a step further. Like our sex advice column Every time, every time I get them, I learn something because I'm like, what even is that? <laughs> what? It's just this really um, progressive, super sex positive, super woman positive, not just all women, but super sex positive way of talking about sex. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, magazines like Cosmo have kind of like started that more sex positive bent. The fact that there what the fact that there was sex advice in a mainstream magazine is huge. But the fact is, most of it was very vanilla sex advice. And it was gender binary sex advice. It was how to please your man. Exactly. How your man can please you. Whereas the sex advice that you're doling out is all kinds of shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> For real, it's all kinds of shit. <laughs> and so the fact that you're accounting for the diversity of your readership and acknowledging the fact that you know not all perhaps not all women are interested in how to deal with balls or you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like or what want have nothing to do with them like it's how you know it, thinking outside of that binary framework mm-hmm. I think is so important. And actually one of the things that we talked about when we first met is actually you you and I talked with 
Nat, my coworker, mm-hmm. who's one of the coolest people mm-hmm. in the world. She and was on the show. She was on the show. Um, and actually, uh, her partner just uh, is is about to get top surgery, and they just successfully fully funded the the copay That's for awesome. his top surgery, which is so good, and I'm so excited for them. But mm-hmm. the fact that like part of our email exchange was, hey, can I have Nat's information? Because she's doing such cool shit, and. I like that, you know, you as a media outlet are interested in mm-hmm. what small... This is a really great segue into my next question. So the thing that's <laughs> really important, I, I think, is openness to representation. And, and um, so I guess my uh, curiosity for you is um, how has how has that uh, been for you, especially coming from uh, the establishment journalism mindset of... Um, I mean, for, for whatever reason, like, we, there's so many, like, not progressive op-eds in the New York Times. The, like, the, and I'm using air quotes, liberal magazine. Um, I mean, not magazine. Uh, jur- uh, News outlet. Newspaper. Yeah. That word left me. Um, but so anyway, so um, when you're getting into this um, progressive landscape of journalism, um... How have you found ways that you're able to make sure that all voices and all differences are, are heard and to kind of like expand the learning experience for everyone involved? And that is a constant journey. And, you know, it's something that even I, as a black journalist, have trouble making sure that we're all represented. And I, we have so far to go with so many different things. I just want to say that, like, so people don't look at it rebellious and be like, well, wait a minute. We are on this journey. We will get there. I'm excited that we're even thinking about it, having these conversations and trying. So I will Mm -hmm. say that. Yeah. And I think part of my, when I look at Rebellious and I look at the pitches that I say yes to and I look at the stories I get really excited about, they are almost all things that we don't talk about enough. And I feel like that umbrella brings all of the folks you're talking about in. Mm -hmm. So like the sex advice column uh, she's written, I think, a couple times about polyamory. And the New York Times, actually, the New York Times Magazine just this week had this really, really super long think piece about poly and open marriages. and yeah. and But in general, it is not a conversation that the mainstream is having very much. Mm-hmm. And so I think when I think about how do we make sure that everybody's included and how do we make sure that everybody vo- everyone's voices are heard and that we're having conversations that people care about that they're not seeing in other news outlets that's the overarching theme it's like what are we not talking about because the Mm -hmm. mainstream is all talking about the same thing all the time i worked for one of the most formulaic news organizations Mm -hmm. on the planet i know exactly what they're talking about and what they're not well and that's what's been so frustrating to me about mainstream media as of late is that they and i'm frustrated and and at the same time have such high expectations for how they're performing right now because they're so strongly informing our administration. Mm-hmm. It is it is a known fact that our president currently is getting most of his information from the mainstream media and mostly the mainstream right-wing media. And so the fact that they are largely you know, sticking to one narrative and not really going outside of it and exploring other viewpoints is disappointing and harmful. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that, and that's why I think, you know, and that's what's so important about independent media is that they have the passion, they have the resources, mm-hmm. they have the inclination to go outside of that singular narrative and be like, well, yes marriage wonderful mm-hmm. but also polyamory and also asexuality well there was and that, also whatever there was that um op-ed about the mother who had a daughter that was um a tomboy that was in the new york times there were, a lot of people were talking about it um and it was like that's that's your trans piece that's your like representation of trans people and it's like that's not you're not progressing anything with that let's just like furthering like cultural, I'm using air quotes. I don't know why we, we all like I air know. quotes. That was so good today. Um, <laughs> but like cultural anxiety 
bullshit. Like, well, and actually, at the same time, and I'm sure that this point was made with that article, the fact that someone that the New York Times took the time to assuage this mother's fear that her daughter was a tomboy is actually just further pushing the gender binary agenda of mm-hmm. like, oh, don't worry. You know, she can wear pants and still be a girl. It's like, it's like, oh, or she could just wear pants and it doesn't matter. I think one of the things that this last nightmarish six months, I think has the, (laughs) a lot of our eyes have been opened about a lot of different things, but I think one of the things it's done is exactly what you talked about is the disappointment and the realization that news organizations on a lot of levels were not ready for this nonsense. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the ways they weren't, one of the many, many, many ways they were not ready is that newsrooms are overwhelmingly white. They're overwhelmingly run by men. They are overwhelmingly run by super educated people. These are things we all know, but like that, those facts inform the news in ways I don't think any of us really realize. Like you can know that, but to, to see the implications of that, I think is something that's relatively mm-hmm. new. Well, and the I think that a, a point that particularly sticks with me is the affluence and mm-hmm. and where these minds are coming from. Where you have these Brian Williams is out there who watch footage of tomahawk missiles being shot at Syria and quoting fucking Leonard just Cohen. kind of like masturbating in a corner. <laughs> Quietly, quietly masturbating. Yeah. But just the the idea, the... Sorry. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, that's what he's doing. It's horrible. Sorry. But the idea of this weird mindset of associating presidential behavior with hawkish behavior... And that, and him being one of the most well-respected voices in liberal media, the fact that he's our go-to reliable voice, you know, he's he's the Walter Cronkite of of today, and he's and he's quoting Len, Leonard Cohen about incorrectly about missiles being fired at. It's it's horrifying and it is so indicative of the of mm-hmm. the fact that our mainstream media needs to be more well represented needs to implement more representation of people of different backgrounds and mindsets and opinions and ugh. so this sets up my next question really well for you um, <laughs> uh, especially because um, you work in a from a similar perspective uh, that as a lot of people that we're having conversations with lately one of the things we talk about even in the opera community, and I think this is a really strong parallel to the journalist community, um, is the idea of establishment versus like edgy or or fringe, if you want to call it or whatever. Um, and you know, uh, there's part of me that wants to believe that these two things can exist at the same time. Um, but there's also a part of me, and I said this in what, another interview. It's maybe it's the little anarchist in my. In my foot or something. We were saying it's like maybe I, I think I'm only like five percent anarchist and just like and that just wants and to it's take in his foot. I don't know. That just <laughs> wants to take the establishment and just burn it to the ground. And like so, I guess my my question for you, for someone that's doing really progressive, really outside of the box work, I mean, do we have? Should we have faith in the establishment? Should we? Should we keep? Should we be building new? I know that's a really like tricky question but yeah i think both ish it is really frustrating to me that we can want to work with you know outside of the establishment and outside of what people's typical expectations are but there's always going to be a part of you that wants the validation of that Mm. and that i feel like is the part that's not cool and i think if if your goal is to reach people within that, you know, and now I'm making a square. Yeah. Like right. Fred Flintstone square. Um, if your goal is to reach people who were within that kind of establishment to kind of maybe move them a little bit towards you, that's one thing. But if you, if you're pandering in some way, or if it's still really important to you that you have validation of that establishment, mm-hmm. 
I feel like that's the troubling part to me. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of conversations that our people are having right now, especially about organizations like the New York Times and, and establishment journalism, let's just say generally, um, where there is kind of a centrist bent um, because it's, there's, and it's the argument of if we just use logic with the right, like they'll, they'll come to our side. Like if we just give a, give a balanced perspective, um, but in the, in the process, by giving, uh, a platform to white supremacy and fascism and, and, and even if it's, even if it's just, even if it's not the most atrocious crimes of those things. Maybe it's just complicitness in white supremacy and complicitness in, in fascism. Um, you're uh, diminishing the voices of the progressive left because where is that in the mainstream media anymore? Yeah. Oh, well, no, I, yeah. I was going to oh. say, you're, you're equating these things as if they're even. And I'll give you an example of what that sure. reminds yeah, yeah, me yeah. of. I worked for a newspaper in Wisconsin. And I won't say which one. I worked for a newspaper in Wisconsin in the late 90s. And the policy was in place that if you were writing a story about gay people, you had to get a quote from the other side, quote unquote, the other side. So a story about Pride Fest had to have a quote from a protester. Mm. And it was just, I mean, it used to make my blood boil. And it's just that kind of thing. Like, what? Why? Why? How is that balanced? What is that? What is that crazy guy with the sign yelling Bible verses of people going in a pride fest had to do with pride fest? Like, why do we have to do that? That's mm -hmm. and we don't do that anymore. But I think we are still doing the oh, well, we need to talk to white supremacists. Well, and counterpoint, you know, if you were writing an article about like a church festival, did you then have to get a quote from, from an atheist from yeah from an atheist to be like well you know i know that they're having their church festival but i've been time and time again persecuted by members of this community so take whatever they say with a grain of salt yeah. like no of course not exactly so mm -hmm. the idea of that being balanced is absolutely ludicrous and i'm from wisconsin and i'm not shocked and the other thing too is <laughs> That that was the policy. Mm -hmm. Oh, Wisco. Yeah. The other, <laughs> Wisco. The other thing that's interesting too, especially coming from traditionalist journalism, is I feel like concepts like logical fallacies and, and false equivalency are things that are acknowledged in in the the tenets of it. Um, but coming from the perspective of the outside of that, um, how do you reinforce those ideas? You know, mm. I well, I think the problem with journalism is the same as the problem with so many things. Like the tenants are awesome; it's the people who screw it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I yeah. think right? It's the people who are running newsrooms that are the problem. Like the tenants of journalism are fantastic if you just read them, but when it comes to being practiced by people and you look at the people who are practicing them, that's where the tricky part comes in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was so we both work at a church because that is what singers do. It's it's good money, but you then have to um, balance that with your own personal principles. For instance, um, whenever one of us has to read the announcements, it is, it, I feel as though it is my responsibility to scan it to see if there's any like weird pro-life stuff in there. And then I feel it is my duty as a feminist to then skip that announcement because I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Um, mm -hmm. But, I'm, I was. I actually had this thought sitting in church, um, and thinking about the teachings of Christianity, and thinking about you know it's it's based on love. It's based on it's based on generosity and 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 you know the idea. There's a there's a quote that says like, and I'm bad at quoting Bi the Bible because I don't super care, but. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Um, but basically saying it would be easier for a rich man to get into heaven than, or rather, it would be easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it would be for a rich man to get into heaven. And yet, there's so much, there's so much bloat mm -hmm. and, like, rich greed associated with this. Uh, and it's just same you know similar thing and i and it's it's and it's that mindset that's currently 
running the establishment. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with the establishment, is that the tenants of it, and in theory, if those institutions are running, then it allows for, it creates the framework for the little guy to operate. But in reality, it's just creating weird loopholes that we Mm -hmm. have to shimmy our way through, and it's a bummer. Cool. Well, um, the other thing I really, I want to come back to um, kind of what you guys are doing uh, with Feminist Prom and your events and um, also what the magazine is doing. Um, I really love seeing things that both have a, um, and I feel like maybe you could appreciate this as someone that knows, like, AP style especially is, like, very heavy on objective journalism and and, um, non-opinionated kind of things. And so it's... uh, um, it's interesting to me the idea of working in that mindset on one aspect of a, of a magazine especially, but then also having room for um, these events um, that are potentially... Um, I'm trying to think of how, what I'm trying to say. Um, they like, have a point of view. Yeah, right, right. Um, uh, how has that... Have you... Uh, thought that at all have there been moments where you're like i don't want to um lay too heavy on the opinion on this like how have you done things that are particularly maybe voiced if you want to say that or like a particular point of view Mm -hmm. um how have you done that while still coming from this traditional like balancing a strong point of view with journalistic objectivity pretty Mm -hmm. much yeah the struggle the place where i struggled with that the most was the election pre-november because the ap trained journalist within me desperately didn't know how to not um didn't know how to cover the election in a way that felt authentic to where i was now if that makes sense like Yeah. yeah i you know i know journalists who don't vote because that's how far they take this, like, oh, I don't want to have an opinion, even in my personal life, which I think is crap. But so, yeah, no, that's true. They don't vote. Really? Um, yeah. And so I I kind of went back and forth with this. <laughs> I struggled all summer with it. We had some super partisan content, and I decided that um, after the conventions were over, that that's when I would kind of, you know, take us one direction or the other. I actually, so after the conventions, I, no, actually it was before the convention, sorry. I asked mm, people to yeah. write essays about like, what, who do you support and why? And I opened it up really broadly. Even though we're a feminist magazine, I opened up super broadly and I didn't get any pre or pro Trump people writing essays. I got people for Bernie and people for Hillary and people who were like, I don't want to vote at all, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I feel like, that got easier for me as a feminist magazine after it was Hillary versus Trump mm. because I felt like I actually wrote an essay that I did not publish in the magazine. It was like an open letter to Trump. Thank you for being so horrible because now I don't have to front like there's even a chance in hell we'd support you. Like yeah. I don't even have to pretend like we're not having a point of view on this. We're a feminist magazine and you're horrible and you're running against a woman. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that is how I tiptoed and navigated that. Like, it was just a relief. Like, okay, great. I don't have to front like we are going to support him ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made it really easy. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this was probably one of the most partisan yeah. election cycles ever because there wasn't, honestly, for me, I don't understand there being any sort of conflict between the two like in any sort of like to have to give it a thought of like I wonder who I'm going to vote for because they were so I mean granted Hillary was a totally a centrist but I I might get some blowback from saying that maybe because I know some progressive friends who were like she was not a centrist but that's my opinion but anyway um you know my opinion. Yeah, I know. Um, so the idea of like having to even give it a second thought is mind blowing to me. Yeah. You know because you have someone with liberal ideals, li- liberal ideals, 
And although she, you know, she was a little hawkish and et cetera, et cetera, whatever. But then you had literally Hitler. Like, you had, like, a straight-up fucking fascist, accused rapist. Just how is there even... I don't know. And this this is... This is October Maureen talking, but it's, I don't know. Mm. I have a, um, administ- like magazine administration question for you. Sure. Um, one of them is just a, you know, a short question. Do you employ any men? Yes. You do? Oh, wait, let me think about that. So actually the, we did don't think we do anymore let me think about this so i when i launched in 2012 mm-hmm. i was lucky enough that my best friend was a web designer nice so a gay man designed our logo the rebellious with the devil horns and gay man was our webmaster for years their creative directory for years he is in grad school now and has had to pull away from doing work with us so we did and we would but we don't <laughs> right now See, I was thinking that you were going to be like, no, because that's not the... Okay, that's really interesting. Is there... Now, are you... Is that just, like, to have a multitude of perspectives? Or is that just, like, you're just looking for talent no matter what? We are looking for talent no matter what. And I feel like feminists... I mean, we are always going to err on the side of having women and women-identified folks do work for us. Right. Right. But obviously, women are not the only marginalized people. On Absolutely, the planet, right? So, right. like, mm-hmm. I, you know, yeah, that's. I'm always going to leave that door open. Yeah, wonderful. Um, and then my other question is, you are you are in a position to be able to employ people, and you are in a position to be able to think about in the future seeking out a space. Um, and we are. You know, the the magazine in it, our magazine in its original iteration started three years ago by Daniel, but then took a break and in its current form is four months old. Right um, and so I guess like as a fledgling organization talking to a an organization um, with some momentum, um, I guess I'm wondering how do you balance generating income probably from ad sales probably from sponsorships you know and etc etc how do you balance your ideals your morals you know you know something like that with also needing to generate income Mm -hmm. because that's something that we're currently wrestling with like we we want to generate more income but we also are really like strong like strongly opinionated you know really Mm -hmm. like rock hard morals and so how do you how do you deal with that mentally yeah and i uh, trying to think of how to answer that because it's a huge right it's a huge ongoing thing especially because there are so many companies who want to market to women who want to market to our audience who don't really care about women so there are a lot of places i feel like we've had to do we pursue advertising for that company no um I feel like for us, we've had to get to a place where we've decided that capital, basically, (laughs) capitalism is good. Like, you have to kind of first, for me at least, I will just say it this way. I had to get to a place where it was like, capitalism is good, the pursuit of money to pay my writers is good, and that it's cool to be moral, but moral is not going to pay people's rent. Mm. And that I'm never going to insult my readers. I am never going to take advertising from a company that I feel like insults my readers. I am never going to take advertising from a company that does not align to our values, Mm -hmm. but that it is still important that we be viable from a business perspective. Absolutely. And I have looked to other kind of people within that framework to look at how they do things like yeah. the conscious capitalism movement, the B Corp movement. Like there are people who are doing this the right way and really trying to model ourselves after them. And it was, it's one of the questions I get the most. It's fat. In fact, I joke with people about this. Like when I was a, you know, a reporter for a mainstream news organization, nobody asked me about my money, but now the question I get the most from friends is, so you making enough to live on? 
and it's so and like it's a i get it it's a you know it's a question that makes sense but it's also like super like really why didn't you ask me that before Mm -hmm. but i think it's it's deciding that um that there is a way to align yourself with brands and with companies and with other organizations that are financially stable Mm -hmm. that there's a way to make that work yeah well i think it's also really interesting because it it brings up the idea of me that I feel like a lot of not even necessarily just progressives but kind of like democrats in general are kind of having this conversation now and it, for some reason it keeps boiling down to socialism versus feminism mm. um, and I, I think it's interesting because I don't think that those things are necessarily like two separate bubbles um, but uh, I don't know, I mean, and I, I, I'm coming at this from the thought of, like, um, I don't know if you know, like, heard about those, was it Tom, what's the new DNC head, Tom Perez, is that the... Oh, mm, I should know his name. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, so he, but he was, came out uh, in support of a Democratic Senate, someone running for Senate in the Democratic Party, who was pro-life. Um... And you know he that that happened while he was on tour with Bernie Sanders, who of course is the like the um, all of the uh, dude bro socialists are like in love with. Um, and I, I like Bernie Sanders, but I but I also don't. It's that whole conversation we we're having before of like uh, the the intent versus like how people use it or like the people what people do with it. Um, but anyway, uh, I guess my question is. Um, yeah, I mean, like, how do you balance kind of progressive tenets, uh, when you're working in this thing? Like, how, where do you, do you find yourself leaning more in one camp and another, in an issue like that, when there's, like, uh, maybe the wrong word is, in, maybe infighting between progressives? Mm, yeah, which is why we largely stayed out of the Hillary Bernie fray. We really did. Yeah, like way out. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, because there are reasons to do, to be, you know, on either thing, like for for like true, progressive minded people. There are of course a ton of um, sexist people that wanted to vote for Bernie, but there are also like, like legitimate critiques of. Um, why maybe Hillary might not have been the best candidate for women, but I mean, I don't. I also don't know that that's necessarily the conversation that people were having. Um, I think this will... I'm sorry to jump in. No, I'm no, thinking, please do. I, I think this will continue to be an issue for us, obviously, and I think it will get really interesting for me to make these decisions when it comes down to covering politics more, which is something right. that's a goal for us, and looking at women elected officials, for instance, in Illinois. Not all female politicians in Illinois are progressive. Not all female, you know, politicians in Illinois are pro-choice. Not all of them align to a feminist agenda. How do we, you know, and yet we want more women to run for office. Absolutely. Period. And, you know, how do you, what's the and after that? Like, what is that? Right. We will, it will be interesting to see how we navigate that. Well, Mm. and I think that... When you're, at least this is how I view it, when you're looking at a female politician, you have to look at her, you have to, you have to look at her at face value. Like, yes, she's a female politician, but if she's not furthering an agenda that is beneficial to your well-being, Mm -hmm. it's the same as if a male politician were doing the exact same thing. And it sucks that's, I think that's the kicker, is that it sucks. Right. But when you have people like Michelle Bachman, when you have people like Sarah Palin... Who Nancy are... Pelosi. <laughs> yeah. Fucking Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> Fuck me. I'm going to come out hard stance here. <laughs> Fuck Nancy Pelosi. Like, oh, I'm a Democrat, but also fuck women? Like, what? <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, what? <laughs> that is a pool I'm not waiting in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's noted. I... I'm the only one that took a stance here. The dude. That's a... Anyway, so we're... Uh... In the interview with the Feminist Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Nancy Pelosi. Jesus Christ. All right. 
No, but I think that I think that all politicians need to be held to the same standard, and I think that that alone, that standard, you know, is just like it's got to be that, <laughs> and like more women should run, but more women with integrity should run. I think. So it's hard. <laughs> it is really. Yeah. We have a couple minutes left. Sure, sure. I'm sorry. First off. Uh, <laughs> Um, Damn it. No, oh so uh, the last thing we do with all our guests is a one-minute plug for any events they have upcoming. Um, also, a chance to shout out anyone else that's doing really dope work that you think our listeners should really check out. Um, I also just want to, first off, just, I don't always do this, but thank you so much for coming on. This conversation has been super fun. Um, yeah, and so obviously sometimes the, that one-minute plug is very obvious. Like if someone has an event upcoming, like a... Like, like in a, the West Loop or... Right. Yeah, or right, like this coming Saturday. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Just random, yeah. Just for instance, if they had like a, a feminist prom or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Fundraiser for their magazine coming up on Saturday at 8 p.m. at Catalyst Ranch. <laughs> Tickets available now at chicagofeministprom.com. Like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So could you do something oh, like okay, that? Oh, okay, let me... Yes, so this Saturday <laughs> at 8 p.m. at Catalyst Ranch in the West Loop, Rebellious Magazine is holding the Red and Wild Feminist Prom Fundraiser. Tickets are available now at chicagofeministprom.com. It's going to be super fun. What, uh, what can people look forward to when attending Feminist Prom? Ridiculous shenanigans. I'm just going to start there. Really, really good food. Really ridiculous music. Lots of fun people. And a beautiful space. If you've never been to Catalyst Ranch, I do have to give a shout out to them. They have been so good to us. And the space is super crazy and colorful and super wacky and really fun. And they have hula hoops. Nice. What else can I say? And I have to give a shout out to my partner, Samantha, who is a photographer for the magazine, thoughtsandbuttermilk.com. Please go look at her photographs of Chicago and Seattle. They are fantastic. Absolutely. So many people I want to give a shout out to, but I have to do. I have to do that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's, you have to. It's a requirement. <laughs> cool. Um, all right, cool. Well, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Daniel Johansson. I continue to be Maureen Smith. If you want to keep up with their up, what, keep up with what we're up to. There are a lot of ways to do that. You can head over to scopymag.com. We have uh, articles on the site, mostly old at this point. I think the most recent is a week old now, just because we're, life is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you definitely keep up there. Uh, what we're working on right now, too, and keep posted on this on our social media, is a summer-long performance series. We're going to be performing Tuesday and Thursday nights at uh, in Pilsen and in Rogers Park at uh, Nightcap Coffee and Red Line Tap. So we're doing... Soon to be Buffalo Bar. Soon to be Buffalo Bar. Um, so yeah, we'll be doing those these uh, series of performance for actually three months, and most of them will be kind of intimate, really fun performances, but some of the highlights we're actually talking about having a giant July 4th blowout party, block party kind of thing in Pilsen. Um, and so we're still also really looking for um, artists and, and performers for a three-hour, like this three-hour block of time that we're just kind of looking to fill up with different people to perform while we all just kind of hang out and, uh, and you know, support America for what it's really great. For. for what actually makes America great. Yeah, for what actually makes yeah. America great. That's, I think, our tagline. Yeah. Um, besides that, uh, we're also doing... Um, we have a new work that we're... I think it's not a premiere, but it's a recent, recently premiered um, uh, classical art song kind of cycle that is the texts of black men that have been shot since Rodney King, um, which by is the really police. cool. Shot by the police. Shot by the police. Specifically. Um, yeah. Um... And also, uh, we will be working on a series of classical composers uh, of Latinx uh, descent, which is really cool. And we'll be performed, working out with... written by Latinx, performed by Latinx, performed in Pilsen. Yeah. So that is something that we're super excited about because something that we're constantly preaching is when you are in a community that has a strong culture and you are performing in that community, it is so important to involve that community right. and to represent that community because mm-hmm. to show up in in a such a strong and vi- vibrant cultural area and mm-hmm. ignore it is criminal. Yep. It's criminal. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do it. Absolutely. So, and besides that, you can keep up with us keep up with us on social media. Uh, you can do that Scopy Magazine on Facebook. Uh, you can also head over to Instagram and Twitter. Both of our handles there are at Scappy Mag, that's S C A P I M A G. 
And as always, I'm here to emphasize the importance of donations. We run on a shoestring budget. Um, right now we are run purely on the generosity of our friends and families and listeners. So if you are able to give, we would be so appreciative. It means the world to us whenever we get a new donation. Um, I can't even begin to tell you. We actually, like, I say this a lot, but I mean it. We, like, cry whenever we get a new monthly subscriber. So please, 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 we're working on so many things. We want to expand. We want to build. We want to grow. So please help us in that. Um, you can go to our website, scopymag.com. If you go to our About section or anywhere, there are buttons littered throughout our website that make it so easy to donate. Um, if you become a monthly subscriber, um, You'll get a shout out on the show. Um, you'll also have such such incentives as admission to any production that we put on in our apartment. Um, I'll make food, there'll be booze, and we'll hang out. It'll be great. Um, if you do a one-time donation, we'll send you a handwritten thank you note if you send us your address. So give a little, give a lot, and if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share. Yep. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something. Yep.